in this session of Look at the Book, we focus on Revelation 22, 3 through 5, and I have two goals. One is that in reading these verses, we would be together stunned at what the future of a Christian holds, and then methodologically, how you read the Bible, that we would be spared from the superficial notion that you can focus on a single word, make superficial, seemingly compelling arguments about it that contradict the realities of the context. So I want you to to go with me into the importance of always attending to the realities of the context and not to succumb to the mistakes of taking isolated words and making them mean something they can't mean in relation to these realities in the context. So, Father, as we expose ourselves now to the amazing future that you have for your children. Grant us to feel it, to see it, and grant us to be protected from wrong ways of reading your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is a description in this last chapter in the Bible of what the future world will hold for God's children. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants, I'll come back and tell you why I put the Greek there, will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Now, what will heaven be like? Now, to to make it really clear, let's contrast it with a mistake. Suppose somebody said, you see this word right here? We're still going to be servants in heaven. We're going to be in the, the low class, always doing somebody else's bidding, And suppose somebody who's telling you this points out the Greek douloi, and they say, that's not the Greek word for waiters of tables. That's the word for slave. And then they take you to chapter 6, verse 15, the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free, and they say, that's the same word, contrasted with the free. And then they took you to chapter 13, verse 16. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave. And they say, see, it's a contrast between free and slave, and that's the same word. And then they took you to chapter 19, and they said, Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the the flesh of captains, the flesh of the mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, the flesh of all men, both free and slave. And they say that's the same word. So in this book, the word slave carries the connotation of not free. And they bring you back here and say, so what kind of a heaven is that? 
Now, what do you do if somebody starts arguing like that? Or, or just suppose the thought enters your own head that to be servants in the age to come or slaves, which is a good translation, slaves means, whoa, that's not going to be a place of joy and dignity and honor and glory. Now, here's my plea that when you read a paragraph like this, you look at the realities of the context, the realities of the context, not just superficial observations about isolated words. So let's, let's look at them. No longer will there be anything accursed. There's going to be nothing but blessing there. The opposite of cursedness is blessing. So no curse going to be on anyone in that day. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. And you know that Worship is inauthentic and unreal unless it's heartfelt and full of praise and full of joy and full of thanks. And therefore, whatever role these people have, it is one where they are clicking their heels with glad-hearted adoration of God. They will see his face, which means God himself will no longer be a distant reality, they're going to actually behold the face of God, which clearly is presented here as a stunning privilege, and his name will be on their forehead. And so, yes, absolutely, the word slave carries meaning, and we are owned there's the brand, there's the tattoo of the slave owner. And I I know that carries connotations which are painful and negative, but this paragraph, with all of its realities, is stripping away the negative connotations of slavery and leaving one pure meaning, namely, we, we are owned by God. Yes, we are. We're owned because he created us, and we're owned because he bought us by the blood of his Son, that will never go away. We will never cease to be people whose fundamental identity is, I belong to God. He made me and bought me. Let's keep going. And night will be no more, and they will need no light or lamp or sun. In other words, this is going to be a totally new kind of world. Stunning new world world, and God will be the light. There will be a new immediacy to God's reality. I might be getting my numbers wrong here, but there you can see those, those five realities. And then comes the bombshell, right? And they, who's they? These servants here, these slaves they will reign forever. And you, you pause over that reality and you say, oh, are you kidding me? 
And then you, you track it down just to be sure. You go back to chapter 3, verse 21. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I conquered and sat with my father on his throne. So we're, Jesus is sitting on his father's throne. We're sitting on his throne. And what do you do on a throne? You reign. Or chapter 5, verse 9, they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, low and high, and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And so you come back here and know these are not throwaway words. So here's the point. If somebody comes along and says, oh, look, we're going to be slaves, we're going to be servants in heaven, we'll still have a, a lowly, despicable, dishonorable role, you say, look, the whole point of this paragraph is to take the word douloi, which means slave, preserve its one basic meaning, namely his name will be on our foreheads, and therefore we are owned and identified as belonging to God, and then strip away everything negative and fill it all with positive, namely, nothing cursed there, only blessing, only worship there from the heart. We will see his face directly. We will live in a kind of new world that's unimaginable. We will experience God in a new immediacy, and most amazing of all, we will reign, which means at least this, real power. I mean, think about it. Think it through. Real power to make things happen. I mean, what else can it mean? I mean, what does reign mean? Or real freedom to choose how things go. That's what rain means. Real power to make things happen. Real freedom to, to choose how things go, which means since we are not God, we belong to God, God's will and our joyful will, our will are one. We never ever think of doing or choosing anything contrary to God. So here's the point. If you find a word that causes you to stumble in a context, take heed to the realities of the context so that you don't let isolated, superficial observations about words keep you from seeing the point. <laughs>